heard A, you're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. We are joined now in the studio by Tim Hollow from the Green Institute. Tim, how you going, mate? Good, thanks. How are you, Scotty? Yeah, excellent, excellent. Uh, now, you're, uh, you're with the Green Institute. Uh, what's the Green Institute? So the Green Institute is a, a small independent think tank um, to assist, um, educate and expand green politics, basically. Um, it's, um, it was my pitch when I came into the job about 18 months ago that what we really need is a think tank. At the green left end of politics to be doing what the IPA and folks like that do out at the right, which has come out with really big ideas that's, that shift the whole debate along, basically. Um, and, you know, that's why we end up, you know, we hear people out on the right talking about privatising ABC and things like that, and that ends up commercialising the ABC bit by bit and all of that. And and so, yeah, what I see as, as the role of the Green Institute is to be out there talking about really big ideas like um, universal basic income and banning advertising in public spaces and um, really shifting the way we do democracy um, towards much more deliberative participatory processes, grabbing it back from the from the corporate takeover, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm what the Green Institute's broadly doing. Um, more specifically, as we're um, you're kind enough to have me in today, we're putting on a conference um, here in Canberra next weekend, Friday, Saturday, twenty seventh, twenty eighth, um, to talk about what a big green radical politics might look like. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I think the, the scariest thing I saw from the IPA—they've got a list out of about seventy-five things that the, yeah. the right wing can do to change Australia. And wow, if they did all of those, we'd be a different place. Have you have you seen that one? Absolutely. Um, and what's even scarier is that they're winning. Oh yes, that's on true. So many of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not getting actually what they're asking for, but they're moving the whole debate in that direction. And I think we on the on the the left and the green left end of politics aren't particularly good at doing that, at putting out um, really big claims and shifting politics out in our direction. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the right and the left. What, what do you make of those distinctions? Yeah. What, what what is the right and the left? <laughs> Um, and is there a so connection? Look, I think I think that those terms are moving, and I think they're in many ways kind of um, they're losing some of their power for sure. But essentially, what I mean when I talk about them is that the right um, the right wing's conception of of the world basically is a collection of individuals, and that individuals. Um, are there to basically drive their own self-interest. And if everybody in the world is out there pushing their own self-interest, then somehow we'll muddle along and get things right, and that's the best way to organise. Whereas the left actually says, no, um, we are a community, we're a society, we're a community of communities. Um, and the only way to have a fair and sustainable society is for us to imagine ourselves like that, and that each of us has to act Yes, as an individual, but as an individual conscious of our role in society. Um, that, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher came out with this idea that there's no such thing as society. Um, and then she and her government and so many other governments worked damn hard to make that so, basically. They undermine connection between people and between uh, each other in society. Um, and... Yeah, on the on on the broad left, we're not particularly good, I think, at kind of going in there and saying, uh, no, we've actually got to live and work and and discuss ideas as a community. 
Hmm. And and what what makes greens different on that spectrum? What's the, is there an expansion of community out of just humanity? I suppose. So yeah. Look, I think I, I believe I believe that green politics is fundamentally a left politics because of that dichotomy. You know, the and green politics kind of takes it another step further. So where where old left politics sees a community of humans. Um, Green politics says actually we are a community of humans within nature um, and we as humanity are one small part of nature and we can't really live sustainably and fairly as a community of humans unless we actually uh, um, really deeply understand that that is a small part of this wonderful natural world. Um, Not even that we have to protect nature which a lot of left politics does understand, that we have to protect nature as a way of protecting society, but actually that we are nature protecting ourselves. That's the fundamental change in green politics. Um, I also think that there's a, there's a long train in, in old left politics, which is a very kind of centralising um, train of thought. Um, and I think that you know there, there, there's a long-standing debate in green politics, actually, between those who believe in renationalizing a whole lot of services and and centralized control um, as against those who who do believe in taking um, taking public services out of corporate hands certainly absolutely but don't necessarily believe that centralized control of everything is necessarily a good idea um, that actually devolving a whole lot of power down to the grassroots um, to the most local level where it makes sense um, is possibly a more sensible way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. How do how do people who have, have been on the centralisation side, how do they gel the idea that, that community should be the power, I guess, or, or where, where things are happening? And then the fact that in centralisation, it, it takes the power away from the community into a, an organisational mm. group. So I don't think they necessarily do, I guess, is what I would say. And this is why I think what I'm trying to do with the Green Institute um, and others with the Institute is is so important because I think um, in some ways we don't think enough about these big questions. And politics today doesn't give us space, actually, frankly, to think about those questions. Um, and so that's really the, the the big goal of this conference and and uh, next weekend and the Institute more broadly is to is to challenge us all of us, myself included, to really think about these ideas deeply. So so what does it mean if you're talking about um, a nationalised electricity network? Um, for instance, um, obviously I would agree there's a deep, deep problem with the commercialised, privatised, profit-seeking electricity network as it exists. But is one centralised government-run network necessarily the solution? What about the fact that actually the the most extraordinarily you know strong shifts to to both fair and sustainable energy networks in the world are happening in northern Europe, where it's community run, where a majority now of the electricity generation and supply in parts of northern Europe is owned and run by community cooperatives, and that's. An extra, that's a that's a different model again. It's a it's a new model. It's a third model. Well, it's not that new actually. It's quite an old model, <laughs> but it's coming back. 
Um, and I think that's that's one of those things that we really need to think about in this in this big conversation about what is what is a green politics, what is a green left politics. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to follow the models um, that that we've previously thought. It can be looking at uh, at other ideas. Yeah, yeah, and I guess as you say, well, the, most things have been tried before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a stroll through history in the uh, in the loser's end, in particular, and <laughs> you Absolutely. can find all sorts of stuff. So you reckon everything's connected? Yeah, so that's what we're calling this conference. Everything is connected, and and I think that's kind of that's the um, the the central kind of. Um, the central aspect of green political thought for me that sets it aside from um, from capitalism, from socialism, from a whole lot of other models is that it's not, you know, in, in capitalism, everything's disconnected. <laughs> We're all alienated from each other. That's the purpose of capitalism. We're all individuals acting on our own um, and somehow it'll all muddle through. <laughs> um, green politics completely turns that on its head and says everything is connected. We can't disconnect things when we start to disconnect is when we start to have deep deep problems and that is that's the lesson of ecology ecology tells us a healthy ecology is diverse it's messy it's all over the place for sure it's not it's not some clean lovely map but it's all connected within that and when you start to try to disconnect parts of an ecology is when you start to collapse so, yeah, everything is connected is, is I guess, the, the, the challenge, in a sense, that I'm throwing out there with the name of this conference and to say, OK, we need to talk about all of our politics in these terms. And so in this conference, we've got, um, well, our opening, our opening plenary address is from a wonderful um, woman, Dr. Mary Graham. Uh, she's a Mary woman from southeast Queensland um, and uh, a sociologist um, who... Um, who thinks and writes beautifully on Indigenous conceptions of of governance and society. And so she's going to be starting the conference with this challenge of, okay, this is is how Indigenous people have have conceived how we govern ourselves as a society um, and what, what can you as the Greens learn from that. And we're heading straight out of that into Professor Brendan Mackey, who's one of Australia's leading ecologists, a scientist, member of the IPCC, um, and the RUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, who's speaking, uh, he, he's given me this gorgeous title for his, his presentation, The Breath of Life Connects Us All, Scientific Reflections on Our Planetary Connections and Their Political Ramifications. Um, so that's going to start us off, and, and then we move into a whole lot of um, parallel sessions on, on science and technology and democracy. Um, and how the corporatization of science and, and research and the development of artificial intelligence by private interests, for instance, needs to be challenged if we're going to be thinking about our connected politics. Obviously, sessions on, on connected governance in nature, governing as though nature matters, earth jurisprudence. Um, the, a session on, on social institutions of connection, how NGOs, for instance, um, can form a better part of participating in democracy. A, a session I'm really excited about on, on systemic approaches to prejudice and racism. Um, and we've got people like Tim Lacerdo, who I'm sure folks have, have come across or know personally, who set up Democracy in Colour recently. 
um, Larissa Baldwin, who was who was closely involved in setting up Seed, the Indigenous Youth Climate Network. Um, and yeah, really wonderful group of people talking about that. People talking about alternative visions of, of economics, ideas of replacing GDP at, at, at one very simple level with, with alternative measures of progress, um, ideas of, of steady state economics, of ecological economics, different views of, of economics as a whole. We've got an address from Kate Rayworth, who people may have come across an English um economist who just wrote a book called Donut Economics, which is a, a very different way of viewing progress, which says that that in the middle we have people not actually meeting their needs. On the outside, we actually have us going beyond Earth's systems boundaries. Um, and the problem is at the moment we're, we're, we're failing on both fronts. We're failing to meet people's needs and we're taking the Earth beyond its sustainable boundaries. And somehow we need to bring both together, create an equitable and sustainable future. Um, so, yeah, a full, a really, really full program. Um, uh, we've also got um, a couple of people from ICANN, the, the most recent Nobel Peace Prize winning organisation, International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, um, coming to talk about peace and disarmament and nuclear power. So... Yeah, great. So I guess that on the on the connection theme, and particularly because you're a political party, um, many of the people I talk to, and I certainly was myself for a long time, feel feel quite alienated and disconnected from the whole mm. political circus because mm. you know it's a bit of a joke, really, for the most part. It's corporatism by two major parties, the Liberal Party, <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. How how do you, how are you going to attract? people who might be having good ideas but are a bit disenchanted and disconnected from the uh, from the whole political scene how would you convince them that it's worthwhile that is i think one of the biggest challenges of politics at the moment and the people who seem to be succeeding on that front are people who are just blatantly lying <laughs> um you know the donald trumps of this world um who present themselves as outside politics but in fact are, are the elites who are winning um you know, one thing I'd say about this conference is that, yes, it is about green politics, but the Green Institute also about green politics is is entirely independent of the Green Party. Um, so this is a conversation that isn't just for members and direct supporters of the Greens. This is a conversation for people who are interested in politics, are interested in a green future, are interested in a, in a, in a green politics and what a green politics might look like. Um, but it's really, really important that we um, that we involve people in that conversation who aren't explicitly part of the Greens, um, and that I think is how we do overcome this problem of 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 people feeling disconnected from politics. Is we need to actually go out there and connect them. We need to bring them in, involve them in the conversation. Yeah, right, right, and and I guess to follow up on the on the the idea of, of just getting ideas out there to people who. who mm. Why is it, do you reckon, that we've got such a such a bias in, in all of the mainstream media, the ABC included, into either what's mm. there or if we talk about anything in the future, it's it's about more of what's there, really, just mm. tweaking little bits. Why do we have such a lack of imagination as a collective humanity? I see that as one of the fundamental parts of a capitalist society, actually. Um, in fact, it's not just. I should. I should clarify that it's not just a capitalist society. It's a society where, where one particular set of values and political ideals is completely dominant. What Gramsci calls hegemony. Um, 
what you know Francis Fukuyama wrote many many years ago that we've reached the end of history um it's it's pretty clear now that we have not <laughs> reached the end of history by by any stretch but, <laughs> it's but a bold claim but but what he but what he meant by that is still incredibly important which is that the idea of 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 liberal democratic capitalism was completely dominant in the world by the end of the 1980s um, with the collapse of the communist states um, and with the complete collapse of social democratic parties around the world, the Australian Labor Party, the British Labor Party, the US Democrats, into a complete acceptance of neoliberal capitalism. There was no longer any mainstream, as you put it, the Labour All Party here, there was no longer any mainstream politics which challenged the hegemony, the complete control of our political discourse um, by those ideas of neoliberal capitalism, that the individual is supreme, um, that the market is right. Um, and when that is the case, it becomes incredibly hard to to challenge that kind of view of politics. And it becomes accepted wisdom across politics that things can't change and that they won't change. Um, and I think that we in politics have a, have a duty and, and, and in the media have a duty to kind of challenge that kind of thing. Also, also in arts and literature, the reason I mentioned that is I was just thinking back to one of my favourite favourite kind of political quotes comes from one of my favourite fiction authors, Ursula Le Guin, um, who wrote recently that, uh, I'm paraphrasing here without her extraordinarily beautiful language, um, <laughs> that when we lived under the, under the rule of kings, the God-given rule of kings, it was impossible to imagine that there was another way of doing things. Now we live under the rule of capitalism and it seems to be impossible for most of us most of the time to imagine that there's another way of doing things. There is another way of doing things. There always has been. This particular dominance is not that old. Um, you know, I, I'm in my early 40s and I can remember back to a time when some of these ideas were being challenged in mainstream politics. Um, you know, I... My late grandmother, who 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 was almost ninety when she passed away a couple of years ago, um, you know, we we would talk about politics of Europe um, in the nineteen thirties, um, which she was a part of. Um, radically different views of how you run the world. Europe at that time was having this incredibly, well, turning into extraordinarily violent. Um, and devastating debate about um, communism, capitalism, anarchism, all sorts of different ways of doing things, um, turning obviously to, to a fight between fascism and, com and, and capitalism and communism. Um, so, yeah, there are many, many, many ways of us as a society coming together to think about how we, how we manage um, and how we work together as a society. Um, but... Our politics refuses to see them. Our politics very deliberately shuts all of those options out and says, no, this is the way it happens. Yeah, yeah, and I guess, um, like, you, like you've said quite a bit earlier there, that the, the, the extreme right seems to be the ones who are, who are getting through with any sort of, any sort of new... Well, <laughs> new any sort of new thoughts, but um, are they really new, these thoughts of the extreme right? 
No. Or are they the same thing? No, they're they're old thoughts. Um, as I say, as are as are the ones that that I and many others on the green left are talking about. They're old thoughts. In fact, in fact, our thoughts are some of the oldest around. The idea of a of a commons based communitarian, um, you know, hyper local but interconnected um, politics is probably the oldest politics of all. It's the kind of politics that predates um, the development of cities. So. Um, yeah, we do seem to be, and 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 the and the racist, exclusionary, dominance-based politics of of fascism of the extreme right, which is rising again, is probably the second form of politics that was initially fighting um, with commons-based politics. As as city states started to develop, we seem to be going back now, actually, about five or six thousand years <laughs> in our <laughs> politics um, to a fight between those two models. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's that's where we're at and we have to win. Hmm. Well, where do you think the advent of peak oil and climate change is mm. going to take us? It's speeding everything up, is my opinion, basically. Um, it's um, it's triggering the, the, the end of the hegemony of capitalism, basically. Um, climate change and other ecological crises, um, which are triggering already... Not just kind of um, the the obvious storms and and hurricanes and fires and floods and disasters, which are making people question what's going on, but also um, already food shortages and and fights over water and resources. Um, also, obviously, as you point out, peak oil and peak all sorts of other things as well. Um, and at the same time, the the incredibly swift development of of the internet and and um, AI technologies and things like that, all of these things are starting to make the capitalist hegemony fall apart because it can't cope with them, it can't deal with them. Um, and so as that hegemony falls apart, we're seeing this return to um, to very basic modes of politics, essentially. Do we share or do we hate? <laughs> yes, yes, very interesting. All right, well, we're going to have to wind up fairly shortly. Is there anything else you want to sort of add in? Um, so, yeah, if you're, if you're interested in these ideas, I guess I'd just really encourage you to come along to the conference. Um, it's, as I say, it's next Friday and Saturday, October 27 and 28, here in Canberra. It's at Old Parliament House. Um, and you can get your tickets online if you go to greeninstitute.org.au. Right there, um, front and centre, on our front on our front page, you can click through to the um, to the page where you can buy your tickets. There's three levels of, of tickets. We want to make it as accessible as possible, so there are really very affordable tickets um, for the weekend. There's and there's a standard price, and then we're asking those who can afford to pay to please consider paying more to support those who can't. Um, so you can get those on our website, as you say, ideally as soon as possible so that we can plan best. Um, one of the fun things actually that we're doing as well is on the Friday night um, down at the ANU pop-up village, um, there's going to be a party, which um, which is, is the conference party, but in a sense it's also celebrating that this, is, this year is 25 years since the Federation of the Australian Greens parties, um, which, is a, which is an event to mark. Um, it is also... Uh, an event to ask the question, okay, so what's the next 25 years? Um, and these are undeniably probably some of the, you know, the, the most important years in, in our history coming up in the next quarter century. What on earth does green politics need to be 
to um, to live up to that. And so we, we've got a, a live podcast being recorded there at that party by The Wholesome Show um, with Christine Milne, Samantha Ratnam, who um, who's a Victorian Green, just, um, just entered the Victorian Parliament, having been Mayor of Moreland and a very successful local politician, and Rob Lewis, who, who many of you here in Canberra may know. She's a, um, a young student at the ANU who's co-convener of the Australian Young Greens. Three very different people with very different political views discussing who on earth are the Greens anyway. So that'll be fun. Yeah, so where is the ANU pop-up village and what is it? So um, it's um, right next to where the old union centre used to be, which has now been smashed to smithereens. Um, if you know the University Avenue and going past the street theatre there and the big wide avenue that goes down right through the middle of ANU, um, on your left as you go in is the, is this new little pop-up village um, which has been set up with some food caravans and a bar and um, a lovely, lovely space there. Uh, really, really great setup, actually. They've done a fantastic job. Oh, I see. So the uni bar's gone, hasn't it? The uni bar it? is Ooh, no longer. Wow. It's no longer. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, Tim. Thanks for having me. No worries. Tim Hollow from the Green Institute. Thank you very much. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then donate, subscribe, volunteer, or sponsor us. Thanks.